Hey, this is Jillian welcoming you to the last episode of Mother Nature Will Kill You Rewind for this break, um, which means that next week we will be returning with our regularly scheduled um, new content, new stories, um, and we will be back together. Um, But until then, we're still doing um, episodes from earlier on in the podcast, um, just stories that we thought were interesting um, and thought-provoking and just have really stuck with us, stories that we reference a lot. Uh, So this one, I was actually joined by uh, Corey for as uh, Haley had COVID. (laughs) So this, I think, might have been his first or second episode that he was on for. Um, And, you know, he's kind of become um, kind of another host on the podcast fairly frequently. Uh, So I thought it would be good to have an episode with him on here as well. Um, do know that he is our Appalachia expert. However, um, in this episode, we are going to be talking about space, um, which is another favorite topic. And this one is really interesting to me because it talks about what it might take to actually go to Mars, um, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, um, what is needed to make that environment a reality for us. Um, So sit back and enjoy. Um, We will be back with you next week on March 4th. Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. everyone welcome back to the podcast so Haley is uh kind of out of commission with COVID so I have a guest host for this episode so everybody wish Haley the best as she gets better but um like to introduce you to this man I met on the street today his name is Corey oh hello <laughs> Fancy, fancy meeting you here. Yeah, I just saw you and thought it would be a good idea to just invite you into my house so that we could talk about fucked up shit. You saw the ring on my finger and you're like, I bet I could get him to to cheat. <laughs> Am I I'm, lure, lure him in yeah, a little bit? Yeah, be the mistress. That's right. <laughs> um, so for those of you who haven't listened, I feel like I bring you up just about every episode. This is my husband, Corey. Oh, he's the one that I tell all of this horrible or used to tell all of this horrible stuff to. And now I just tell Haley and all of you. That that plus the telepran has made me sleep better at night. Yes. (laughs) Get on 
the drugs. So yeah, he's uh, he's willing to step in and kind of sounded excited about it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Well, I gave you the option to (laughs) not. All right. Yeah, I know. I know. This is, this will be fun. Yeah. And we're the three best friends that anyone (laughs) could have. (laughs) Yes. Our little puppy marzipan is here today too. So uh, I guess tell the people why you're here. Why, why are you uh, involved in this in any way in the first place? Well, it's my computer. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I am, I am fascinated by stories of survival against nature. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the stories you tell me, I am fascinated by it to a point, but usually by 11 o'clock, <laughs> I, I'm ready for bed and I'm not ready to hear about how someone died. <laughs> um, it's not always how someone died. It's not always, but for like 80% of the time, <laughs> someone has died or has come close to dying. And yeah. I don't need that right before sleep. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've been in some pretty sticky situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel a little bit of kinship with some of these people. Granted, I was always able to make it off the water, but Yeah. Yeah, you never like climbed Everest or anything like that. No, no, I'm not. I I am very aware <laughs> of who I am as a person. Your and abilities. My abil- my abilities are watching TV for twelve hours straight and being able to stand up and walk around afterwards. That's like my ability. That's an en- endurance. All that's an endurance. Yeah, because I can't do that. Or or gaming from like sun up to sun up the next day mm-hmm. for twenty four hours straight. I've done that before. That's about yeah yeah that's my peak physical activity yeah that (laughs) i mean it's endurance i can't do it you know because you've well if i'm sleeping i can do it but you know because you've seen me get antsy and anxious if i sit on the couch for too long oh yeah yeah i know yeah yeah so what games are you playing right now oh speaking of games uh i am kind of no lifing final fantasy 14 right now because mm-hmm. i'm finally at a point where i can do a lot of the end game stuff i never see him yeah she never sees me mm-hmm. um uh especially raid night she rolls her eyes and is like okay i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> um i also play destiny 2 every now and then but uh i'm playing what what is it you call you call red dead redemption 2 uh barbie riding club for boys yeah pretty much <laughs> so then uh oh speaking of i almost caught myself in appaloosa today i am so proud of he is learning all of the horse colors because i'm a certified horse girl i don't know if i've actually ever talked about that on the podcast but i am a certified horse girl I used to ride a lot um when i was younger and then it got too expensive and i got into boys and you know i'm how Lame. that goes Look, I am literally Tina from Bob's Burgers on the inside. Um, (laughs) I meant that you got into boys. Right, right. I know, it is lame, huh? It is lame. (laughs) Um, You got lucky this time, but you might not next time. (laughs) But uh, I've been teaching him all the horse colors because we live in Texas. There's a lot of horses around. And every time we drive by a horse, I'll quiz him and be like, okay, what color is that one? What color is that one? Don't don't quote me on this, but I'm 99% sure that there's more horse per capita than people in Texas. 
I would say for sure on the cows. I'm not so sure about the horses. <laughs> but uh, I've been enjoying watching you play that game. And it makes me wish that there was a game like that where I didn't have to shoot anybody. I could just like ride around and be in like survival mode and collect food and hunt and stuff. That'd be dope. Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to find that game for you. Yeah. Well, we'll it's, see. It's hard. It is. <laughs> Very, very few <laughs> games involve survival and not shooting things or people. Yes. Um, Just like real life. The closest I feel like we've gotten was Subnautica, which if y'all have never played Subnautica and you like uh, any kind of survival games or even horror games, because I feel like that game scares the shit out of me all the time. But uh, it's basically you crash land on an alien planet and you are forced to um survive off of what you have there and like scavenging for parts but it's an entirely underwater planet so there's all these different like ocean-based ecosystems that are very similar to ecosystems that we have but some of them are also like really like otherworldly and really cool but it is like the biggest scariest deep sea open world and i it scares me when I have to go into the deep, dark places. Oh, yeah. It cracks me up watching you play that game. <laughs> like, it really does. <laughs> I am not a gamer. but no, she's not. I, I, like, I like pretty things. <laughs> even though I think the most aggravated you and I had ever gotten at each other is when you were trying to play The Witcher. Oh, my God. And yeah. I was trying to teach you how to climb up a ladder in a burning building. And it's, you you were struggling. It's not my forte. Art, it's not. Art and research, yes, but gaming... And Lego games. Oh, Lego games are fun. I like Lego games, but that's because they're for children. <laughs> <laughs> so tell the people a little bit about what you do for a living, because it's not gaming. No, unfortunately, it's uh, it's actual work. Um, <laughs> I, I work half on a boat, half in the office. Mm-hmm. On the boat, I am getting samples by pulling trawl nets, uh, pulling or pulling trawl nets behind a boat to, to get a lot of the uh, sub-adult and adult pelagic fish. He's a fisheries tech. Yes, I'm a fisheries tech. <laughs> so he collects all the samples that I analyze yes. for my job. So I do, I do all those different methods. Um, and then the office work is usually just in support of the field work, mm -hmm. like cleaning up the data, submitting the data and then cleaning and patching all the gear and the boats and yeah, all that stuff. But he pretty regularly handles very large fish and sharks and yes. rays and stuff that I used to do a few years yeah. ago. But catfish. Oh God. Catfish. Alligator gar. Yeah. Like water dinosaurs. Basically. So he has to handle a lot of cool things and has been in some kind of sketchy situations. A little bit. Which brings us to our personal survival story section. So if any of you want to submit one of these stories of your own, you can uh, do so um, on our website um, and we will read them aloud. But since he's here in person, he can... Bum, ba, da, ba. tell the story so there is one night we were uh setting some nets that have to sit out in the water overnight to catch and then we pick them up first thing in the morning but a pop-up storm came in which happens quite a bit while we're out there and yeah. so we're setting these nets and we we set the first one and then it wasn't until we were setting the second net that we realized the storm was coming in and 
um, the one of the other techs on the boat with me, she looked at her Stormwatch uh, app and she saw that the entire cloud coming at us was red with lightning strikes. <laughs> and uh, so she said, set the net now. So we threw the net onto shore, backed the boat up as quick as we could. And of course, I was driving the boat and it was, I think, the first season that I was learning how to drive those boats. Yeah, you and were you were a little I was baby. still very new. Um, yeah. I wasn't a permanent tech yet. I was still a temp hire. Uh-huh. Uh, I was still on contract. And so I start driving and I was always taught not to go above a certain RPM because we didn't want to redline the motors because we put them through hell. But that day, uh, both the, the other two people on the boat with me were both screaming at me saying, redline that motherfucker. <laughs> um, so I start going and then I pull out onto this, the, the intercoastal waterway. Which is Which, this big um, channel that basically connects, I think, from like Norfolk all the way down through Florida through us. Yeah. Yeah. And basically barges can go back and forth on the yeah. uh, waterway without having to deal with major storms. Yeah. it's ocean. There's a lot of barrier islands and whatnot protecting it. So yeah. the, uh, the usually the, the current might be strong, but the wave action isn't that bad there. Yeah. So I come out onto that and, I, and I'm trying to ask, should we go to the left towards the ramp because I was going to drive into the storm or should I take us to the right, which was like leading us to a, um, a, a, a Bayside community, uh, Chinkapin. And before I could even answer the, the, the lead, the lead tech was screaming at me to go, 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 go. So I assume that meant towards the Harbor. So I go down there and it felt like a Metallica cover album because lightning <laughs> was cracking on either side of it. And I'm driving down this channel towards black skies. And all the only light I could see was the lightning. And uh, I remember before we started going, I texted Jillian. I was like, Hey, I love you. Yeah. He actually did this. And I was like, what's happening. And so, (laughs) and so we're going and we're all ducked down, but the, the windshields are old on those boats, so I couldn't really see. So I'm trying to peek over this tiny little gap before yeah. the crossbar and the view screen. While the wind, or while the, the rain, the winds, like- the wind and the rain slapping into my face, and it was too dark for sunglasses. So I'm like bare eyeing it because I had my contacts in that day. And so it was just a really scary situation. We're all hunched down, so we were lower than the metal of the boat. Um, so hopefully the boat would get hit and we wouldn't be as bad off if lightning struck us. And they're all wearing rubber boots, I think, at the time. Right? Yeah, we're all wearing rubber boots, but so I'm still there's... gripping the metal steering wheel <laughs> yes. and all the hard points to grab on the boat are metal. So uh... so we're driving. I'm gunning it. Uh, you know, I like to go fast, but that day I was just praying to make it. And we go into the harbor and my goody two shoes ass start slowing down to not make wake, which, you know, you're not supposed to, but then my coworker starts screaming, make wake, make wake. <laughs> Fuck that sign. <laughs> so we, we come in and I do like a little fast and furious, like turn and burn to get us into the, uh, uh, into the actual little Harbor stalls. We get the boat lashed up to the Harbor. We jump off and we run straight for the, um, the metal roofed, uh, fish cleaning station still better than out in the still open. better than out in the open while and then like when the rain calmed down for like a second the the drive the truck driver he ran the guy who's responsible for driving the truck he ran out got it backed it into the the harbor and we jumped out 
put the boat in, got in the truck, sat for a moment in quiet. And then we all just busted out laughing because <laughs> we're like, this was the dumbest thing we've ever done. Uh, so I came back. I called Jillian, told her what happened because she was like, so what was with that ambiguous? Hey, I love you. And I was like, oh, that was just in case I died. And she was like, what? <laughs> Well, because, like, you're sweet most yeah. of the time, and so you say, like, sweet things sometimes. And so I thought, well, maybe it's that. I didn't think, but maybe I should have known because of the weather. So she probably saw that <laughs> message and just, like, rolled her eyes and was like, what a goob. I actually don't remember, <laughs> to be honest. It was a while ago, but, yeah, that's uh, that's a good one. And that's not his only one. No, it's not well, my only uh, one, but that's probably the most... The most um, one that I was in immediate danger. Yeah. I've actually on that same base system, I've been out with our tech from my lab and um, we saw a water spout. Yep. <laughs> like, I don't know, not, not that far from the boat. Yep. It was a little close for comfort. We've, yeah, we've been out there with that too. It's always, uh, we always have to have one person keep an eye on it. Yeah. Which for those of you who don't know, water spouts are like, um, like over the ocean tornadoes yeah but they're like less scary because they're not as destructive well they burn know. they burn out yeah quicker. yeah they're not like you know here to destroy houses or yeah. anything because it's it's not as dry air so they don't build up as quickly right so they don't last as long no. but it's still like you wouldn't want to be like on a boat right next to one of them. Oh no absolutely not <laughs> it's still a bad time yeah so yeah, we have a lot of uh, close calls in our field. Yeah. I've I've talked about a few on the podcast. Um, lightning is always a concern, yeah. especially during this time of year and summer when we yeah. get pop up storms all the time. Yeah, nor- normally we don't go out, but that one literally there was no forecast for it. It yeah. formed out in the Gulf and then just blew right in right yep. at us. And they show up all the time. So it is something that, especially because we're in open boats, we don't have cabins or anything. No. But it's it's always like a big concern. Yeah. Um, you've actually, you guys have pulled up like at somebody's dock before to wait out storms. Yeah, the next day. Was it the next day? Yeah, the, the next day <laughs> there was another pop-up storm as we were pulling the nets in. So we we were able to pick the first net and then the second net, we just pulled it onto the deck and drove to yeah. Drove drove to someone's uh it was like a rental house. So we drove up to their dock. We picked everything on the boat so we didn't mess up their dock, mm-hmm. but we did give it a quick rinse. And I think we left like a thank you note just to let them know. <laughs> yeah. In case anything was left behind or anybody said anything. We're yeah. like, hey, we're this organization. We used it. If you have questions or concerns, call this number. Yeah. It was just because we didn't want to die. Yeah. Pretty much. Really. Like, there was a pop up storm. <laughs> <laughs> Because again, we saw that storm come in. I looked at my coworker and she just started nodding. She's like, yep. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> yeah. But that was in the morning. So it wasn't as scary because it no. wasn't, it wasn't night. Yeah. Oh, was okay. Cause, yeah. Cause yeah. We, we, we have to, we set those, we have night. to set those gill nets an hour before sunset. Mm-hmm. So explain what gill nets are for, for the people. So, so gill nets are, um, they're nets that we use in science to get a unbiased catch of adult or subadult to adult species from the shoreline of fish, of, of fish, well, and crabs, and yeah, from the shoreline out to uh, fifty meters. I don't know how long they are. 
Oh uh, man, I'm bad. I just I just throw them out. I don't I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head. Sure. But sure, yeah, why not? Um I'm sure I'm sure any of my coworkers who might listen to this are just gonna roll their eyes and slap their forehead. But uh yeah, so we we set them an hour before sunset and then we have to start picking them an hour after or within an hour after sunrise. Um they have a float line, so a series of floats on the top. Yeah. And a series of lead weights on the bottom. So well, it's just a lead can, line. Right. So you can catch the entire water column yes. of fish. Yeah. From the, the, the top part. From the bottom to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's that's how we get a unbiased catch to estimate the population of all fish in the bay, not just targeted. Yes. That was not just fishermen targeted, which means that it is fisheries independent. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Science. All right. Well, I guess with that, now that we've talked about your close call, um, do you want to get into the main story? Uh, Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. So you're actually lucky this week. Um, We're doing something a little different. So it's not going to be as death heavy. <laughs> well, death is okay as long as it's before 11 p.m. <laughs> death is fine before 11 p.m. <laughs> Just need everybody to know that. Um, so I think you'll actually enjoy this one, though, because it's kind of about space. Mm-hmm. And I feel like and that, I'm a nerd. And you're a nerd. And what is, like, your favorite thing in the world? Did video games? No. Hawaii mountains, Star Wars, Star Wars. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> she did not, she did not prep me enough for this. I didn't prep him at all. The vodka is <laughs> not helping, but she didn't prep me enough. So, you know, it's like space themed, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. Are there um, lightsabers? There aren't any lightsabers. Oh, there is some electricity issues, so we'll, okay. we'll get into it. But you've also read and seen The Martian. Yes. Um, which, if y'all haven't read or watched that movie, please do. It's probably one of the best fictional survival stories I've ever seen. Um, it's If you don't know, if you live under a rock, it's about a guy who goes on a Mars mission with a bunch of people and basically gets trapped there by himself. And they think he's dead, but he's not. And so he has to figure out how to get off the planet. And this is like not, it it, it takes into account um, like actual, you know, how would we get there as of right now, like with NASA or SpaceX mm-hmm. or whatever. It's not like a super futuristic, like right kind of it's it's more of a practical like how would we how would a guy who got trapped on mars actually survive like could he actually survive yeah which i find a lot more compelling than most sci-fi it's it's kind of like science nonfiction. kinda it is based in conceivable reality yeah in like the near future like the author what's his name andy weir did a ton of research um into all of the work that NASA is doing right now to kind mm-hmm. of solve this problem, um, which is why I wanted to talk about this topic today. Because and, and while I was reading, I was double checking all the math he did. It checked out. Yeah. 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 You double checked oh, all yeah. that math. All of that math. <laughs> Every <laughs> single bit. All the physics. It all made sense. <laughs> 
based on my understanding. So anyway, we are kind of uh, recreating or trying to mimic somewhat what it might be like to have a group of people on Mars for an extended period of time because it takes a considerable amount of time to get there. Mm-hmm. It takes like, I don't know, like a year or two to like do the round trip. It takes several months to even get to Mars based on like current space travel. Um, and so there's a lot of things beyond the technology that they need to address as far as like human survival is concerned. So yeah um so let's get into it why do we explore why do we explore Haley's already answered this question like 50 times so you might as well (laughs) give me your (laughs) to to boldly go where no one's gone before well that's good there you go star trek so this is the question i feel like this podcast has been addressing since the beginning of recording and this episode really encompasses these ideas but in a less morbid way than its predecessors (laughs) um so in 2022 it seems that there are few frontiers left to really explore save for the deep sea and space For the first time since the 1980s, we are collectively looking up again, despite all of the unrest going on in the world, thanks to private companies like SpaceX. And while many people, myself included, may not agree with the egomaniac-esque supervillain tendencies of the CEOs of these organizations, (laughs) I would be lying if I didn't (laughs) say I feel like I've seen him a lot in the news lately. <laughs> Twitter. I mean, seriously, you can't be named Elon Musk and not be a supervillain. Like, that's a supervillain <laughs> name. I'm sorry. So while he's a terrible human being, uh, I would be lying if I didn't say the thought of seeing people land on Mars in my lifetime because of SpaceX or other organizations is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um I remember my parents talking about the exciting times that was like the early space race, uh, like the first man on the moon, the space shuttle missions of the 80s, how my mom used to stare up at celestial bodies with a homemade telescope that my granddaddy made himself um, because he was a really talented mechanic and Mm -hmm. liked to make telescopes in spare time, not college educated, but could do that. So but could he sit and play video games for 24 hours straight? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> it's probably a skill that you are, are the only person. That, well, not the only person, but. <laughs> only one in your family. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are still a ways off from making Mariza a reality for us. There's a lot of logistics to work out. And one of the most daunting aspects is how long it would take for a round trip mission which I said was upwards of two years, but my research says an upwards of three years. (laughs) I don't remember what I write down months ago. Um, This is far beyond the couple day trips to the moon that we've been doing. um, Cause it only takes like a couple days round trip to do the moon Mm -hmm. Um, and requires greater testing of human character to accomplish. 
the isolation alone is enough to drive someone mad, never mind the fact that you'd be leaving everyone and everything you know behind for three years. And on top of that, even with all of the safety measures taken, going to Mars is going to be innately dangerous. There is no guarantee of return, which I could never leave that puppy, puppy. for three years. You, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what does yours say? Uh, yeah, it takes about two years. A one-way trip to Mars takes about nine months. Okay. And a round trip would take about 21 months. Okay. Plus whatever time you want to spend. Because if right. you're taking that much time, I think that's why three years is kind of the... Yeah. But if you're just going. But it also depends on when you go, because you got to make sure Mars and Earth are lined up properly so you can make that trip. Good point. Watch yeah. the Martian. It'll tell you yep. more about that. You got to watch for the migrating space whales and yep, yep, all that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, spontaneous black holes and yeah, yeah, for sure. all that crap that you have to watch out for in Starfleet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, so this mindset is similar to many exploration stories we talked about, specifically in my uh, opinion expeditions to the poles because back in the like golden days of polar exploration going to the poles was like years of your life Mm -hmm. because it takes you you go down there on a freaking tall ship and then you're there for a year until a ship can get back through to to get you because of the ice so it's kind of like a, a similar situation to that but we have a lot more technology so communication is not going to be as big of an issue um, and knowledge of human behavior as well now than we did back then. Um, and we can really ask questions and dig for the data. What would a Mars mission look like? What would it look like from the human perspective? How would it impact a crew? What does the future of exploration look like? These are all questions that folks at high seas are attempting to address. And that is what we are talking about today is High Seas Mars, which we should totally visit on our next trip to this place. Just saying. Heck yeah. Um, So High Seas is the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation, which is a Mars and Moon uh, Exploration Analog Research Station operated by the International Moon-Based Alliance. So... What this means is essentially that it's a practice run for what it might be like for a team of humans to go to Mars and live there for an extended period of time. So it's they're all in the simulation together. It's like a big, it's like a big LARP, essentially. Simulation. It's like a big astronaut LARP, but it's very serious because they're taking data. Um, so the high seas base is located um 8,200 feet above sea level on the Mauna Loa volcano on the big island of Hawaii, um, which is, I believe, the most active volcano on Hawaii, although where the base is located isn't in, like, the lava flow kind of area. Yeah, I think it's on the uh, western side of the mountain, not the eastern side. Eastern side is where all the lava is. So, um, but it is on the uh, biggest volcano on the biggest island of Hawaii. Um, So this is one of the few areas of the United States that truly looks like being on the surface of Mars um, enough, 
and is isolated enough to run one of these practice missions and make it like believable essentially so we went to maui uh oh my gosh almost a year ago now for our Mm -hmm. honeymoon Mm -hmm. and we went up to haleakala which is the volcano on that island and it is also very very tall when you get above a certain line there's almost no vegetation right and i thought it looked a lot like mars Mm -hmm. It's like from afar, it looked like it was a combination of like red and black rock and sand. But like when you get close to it and you actually look down on the ground, it was like a weird culmination of like all these different colors. But it was like all around that same light scale, yeah. like, you know, yellows, oranges and reds and whatnot. Yeah. And it was just very, very hilly and well, not not hilly, but mm-hmm. because they had those what ash ash mounts or cinder cinder cones. Cinder cones. Yeah. Yeah, it just looked very alien because, mm-hmm. I mean, first off, it was a big old bowl when you got to the top and you looked down. Right. And then once you started going down it, all you could see was just more of yeah. the, the mountain of the volcano. You couldn't see, you couldn't see down to the slopes where the trees started mm-hmm. or the shrubbery started. You couldn't see the water. You couldn't see anything. Else. Like when you got down into that bowl, it was isolated. Bowl meaning the crater. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, crater. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was really something to be down. And then I've never been that high in elevation before either. So it just like atmospherically, it felt yes. alien because I've never had to work that hard to breathe before. I about died. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was a weird, like the wind was cold, but the sun was hot mm-hmm. and the air was, was thin and dry. And it yeah. was just, it, it was an alien climate for me mm-hmm. which is kind of added to it you had kind of a semi-spiritual experience oh i, I did like. absolutely yeah. i mean it was it was as mountain as i've ever been on a mountain before and I, you know me i love me some mountains yeah well and it's i i've been in a lot of mountains because i used to live in the rockies and it's very different than yeah. even the rockies to me yeah. um and so mauna loa has a similar kind of vibe to Haleakala. It just felt so ancient and primal yes. being up there. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of why they chose that yeah. that area, which is kind of cool. Um so when we go to Mars, it's likely that the duration of the trip will be a year or more. So isolation experiments are necessary to determine if humans will be successful in living in this environment. Besides, like, the obvious logistical needs, like food, water, air, rockets, etc., like, all of the technology that's going to get us there. But the question is, can we even deal with being alone, but also with each other (laughs) for that long? Um, So, therefore, the purpose of high seas is to test humans and humans' behavior in an environment like this. So, the habitat, which is... Uh, basically where the high seas Mars simulations take place is a 1200 square foot dome where the missions live for four to 12 month long periods mimicking living on Mars. Um, So you can see our little habitat right there. Mm -hmm. It's like a little Epcot center. (laughs) Epcot. Yeah, it's like a little flimsy, like white plastic dome, and it's only 1200 square foot, which I feel like I've had our house might actually be bigger than that. 
it's what's just really funny is the last time I went to Disney World, Disney, whichever one's in Florida, I always forget. Disney, Disney World, Disney World. Uh, when we went to the Epcot Center, I did the mission to Mars enough times mm-hmm. so that I could do every all the jobs because there's like an engineer, there's a pilot, <laughs> there's like the science officer, and there was like navigator. And I, you my, did them all. My friends and I, we all rotated because there's four of us, That's so we cute. rotated so we could. Uh, and so I'm, I think I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. All right. Bye. <laughs> I could do whatever job they need me to have fun as long as it's all pre programmed and I don't have to do any thoughts. <laughs> Just vibes. Just no thoughts. Just I don't think that's how it works. It should be. If I learned anything from the Martian, I don't think that's how it works. I mean, I'm a pretty good pilot. I could. Okay. I learned how to drive a (laughs) boat real quick. I could probably fly a spaceship. Fly a spaceship. Um, It's actually interesting how similar the habitat looks to their little uh, habitat station in the Martian. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm almost wondering if they had got inspiration from this. Um, So the conditions of the habitat are designed to be as similar as possible to those of a planetary planetary exploration mission. Uh, The site is accessible all the time um, and has very little variation in weather, along with the fact that it is still isolated from other human settlement and the fact that it very much looks like the surface of Mars. The habitat site is on a former cinder rock quarry surrounded by uh, recent, relatively recent lava flows with very little animal or plant life present to detract from the simulated experience. Because uh, it'd be kind of weird if you just saw like a nene goose like walking around and you're trying to pretend like you're on Mars. Right. Yeah. So there, the area also contains volcanic features to explore, um, including lava tubes. Uh, which are basically uh, caves created by lava flows, which we got to go in, yeah. into one. Yeah, those are cool. Today, five successful long-duration NASA Mars simulation missions have been completed, along with a handful of other analog space missions with other space agencies typically trying to mimic the moon. Um, so the high seas habitat dome contains small sleeping quarters for a crew of six on the top floor, and the bottom floor includes a kitchen, lab, bathroom, simulated airlock, and engineering bay area. That's what it looks mm-hmm. like on the inside. Um, where was I? It essentially is a large round room that contains most of their shared living area and like a raised loft area that contain the six compartments, which are reportedly like the size of closets. Um, that serve as private bedrooms. And then there is one single bathroom on the top floor. There's another bathroom and storage room on the first floor. And that's Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. for four to 12 months. Mm -hmm. So high seas has even developed a communication system similar to what would be found on Mars, including a 20 minute message reception delay on both ends. So there's no real time conversation between them and the outside world. So when humans go to Mars, there will be a 20-minute lag time between electronic communication due to the distance between the planets, Mm -hmm. and therefore limiting contact with the outside world is all part of the simulation. Participants use composting toilets, take 30-second showers to conserve water, um, and the habitat is powered by a large solar array. So it is as much as we can possibly do, they they try to make it real. When it's cloudy, the team must turn on a car-sized backup generator. Um, In addition to this, 
they also never go outside without a complete spacesuit with a helmet. Jeez. So it's it's very real. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can see our, yeah. our little EVA suit uh, here. It's an honest to goodness astronaut suit. So um, so members of these missions hold safety to the utmost importance, but secondary importance is committing to not breaking the sim or the simulation in order to get the best data out of these experiments. These individuals leave their regular lives, sometimes quit their jobs, and leave loved ones for months in order to do this as realistically as possible. Um, in one case, a crew member had to leave due to medical issues, and their mission pretended that they had perished on Mars's surface and that they had buried them there to maintain the simulation without outside contact. Like, did they have to, like, dig up a grave and everything? I'm not sure. I want to know. I want to know, too. Because <laughs> I like, read that in an article, and I was like, what the fuck? Because can you imagine being the people, like, <laughs> digging the grave? Like, you're like, okay, I understand I need to keep this close, but, like, we're, we're not digging a grave, though. We're just digging a hole. <laughs> Let's say we did it. <laughs> Wait, do I have to get in? Do, do, do I... Do I have to get do, in before we, I can go to the hospital? Yeah, like, right? <laughs> do they have to bury him first? And then and 20 minutes later, they send comes. a text message <laughs> and somebody comes and digs up the poor sob. Oh my God. I need to know. Because if I'm going on this Mars mission, I want to know because I've got diabetes. I'm likely to be the first one to yeah, die. Yeah, you're done. You're done for. <laughs> Um, but this is the utmost rule of the mission and the suspension of belief or uh, commitment of all crew members to the simulation is needed in order to collect reliable data. Yeah. So as I said before, there have been five successful missions completed by NASA at high seas. The first mission, mission one, launched in 2013 and its stated purpose was to compare resource costs and nutritional psychosocial benefits of two food systems proposed for long-term missions, which basically means the goal is to look at the psych psychological benefits of different food products in space on like, humans, basically, um, including prepackaged instant foods, foods prepared by the crew from self shelf stable bulk ingredients that kind of thing missions uh two through four ran from 2013 to th 2016 and this comprised of multiple research groups um collecting data on basically team cohesion and performance um for four months and then they did another one for eight months and then another one for 12 months um so today we will be talking about two missions um, one being the 12 month mission, which I got a lot of that information from the Habitat podcast and I'm not trying to, but like, that was the, one of the few places where I got a lot of really good information on like what it was actually like, like as a, just a person to be as a person to be, um, like living in the habitat for 12 months it's really mm -hmm. fascinating so i don't obviously do the whole thing but we get into a little bit of the interesting bits um so mission uh five through six ran in 2017 both were also isolation missions to assess uh psychological and physio psychosocial factors during long duration missions mission six was stopped earlier due to unforeseen circumstances we will also be discussing this mission a little bit as well to talk about what happens when a high seas mission goes wrong. 
Uh, high stakes at the high seas. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, so what is it really like to go on one of these missions? Uh, the podcast, The Habitat, written and researched by Elisa Levy and produced by Gimlet Media, delved into just that. Um, so I usually don't want to use other podcasts to do research for obvious reasons, but in this case, the Habitat is truly one of the best resources out there for what it's like to experience a mission. Um, and I actively decided to only dis- divulge some information. So if you want the skinny on everything, go listen to it yourself. I highly encourage this. It is drama, drama, drama. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Not to take away from any of the work that they were doing, but it was juicy. <laughs> um, the Habitat explores mission four, which is the 12 month long high seas mission and the longest mission to date. The six individuals who went through this experience were uh, Car- Carmel Johnson, who's the mission leader, Shay Gifford, who was the doctor, um, Andrzej Stewart, who was the engineer, uh, Christiana Heineke, who was a hydrophysicist, uh, Cyprian Verseau, an astrobiologist, and, and then, oh God, why didn't I figure out how the fuck to say this one? Tristan Bassingthwaite, 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 uh, Tristan B, (laughs) who's an astro architect and can't even get mad at me because it's a white boy name and I don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) Um, These individuals are chosen to be as much like NASA astronauts as possible, meaning that they should be athletic. Uh, I'm out. Yeah, I know. Me too adventurous calm and cool-headed i'm definitely out way out uh multi-skilled i got that uh intelligent eh, maybe they hate me (laughs) you are not nasa i am not nasa material jeez (laughs) that last one really got me no (laughs) my god um but now these individual individuals who are like you know, they want to go out running and have adventures, um, are closed in a confined space, isolated from everyone together. Oh, see, and I have bad gas too, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would not be good. That would be bad. 1,200 square foot? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. All of of these volunteers have to apply to the program, which you can do too on the High Seas website. Just go on there and apply. Most of them have dreamt of going to Mars or space themselves, which is the reason they chose to do this. One of the mission four members stated that high seas is the next best thing to be an astronaut. Cause as you know, not everybody can be an astronaut just cause it's not, there's not a big demand for it yeah. basically. So even if you're really smart and talented, it could be good at it. You might not get to cause it's extremely competitive. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's only like what, four spots every like 10 years. Right. I don't know. I don't know how NASA works. But <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> sounds right. Um, so the mission four crew had to map their way uh, to the site from the drop-off location on Mauna Loa. Um, and this exercise would be the last time they would be able to feel the wind on their face for a year. Uh, once the door closes on the habitat, the simulation begins. And leaving the dome or going outside without a suit will end the simulation. I can't let you do that, Dave. <laughs> the mission for crew members described the feeling of closing the door and looking at each other realizing that they will be the only individuals that they see for a year 
It's daunting, exciting, and nerve-wracking at the same time. Like, literally count me out. Yeah. I, I could not. You know, I get claustrophobic, so. Yeah. I need to go outside. Yeah. I, I would, you might be able to. Yeah, I could, I could handle probably that part of it. Mm-hmm. Mainly because otherwise, that would be the only way I don't get sunburned for a year. <laughs> Fair enough. As I'm sitting here with my arms a nice lobster red. <laughs> From being on the boat yesterday for six hours. Yeah. So what's it really like to live in the habitat? All of the crew members um, described a big lack of privacy, which is a no-no for me personally. Um, even in private compartment bedrooms, you can still hear everyone through the walls. Sounds mm-hmm. like that apartment I lived in in Williamsburg. Oh, yeah. Except hopefully less of that activity and more just talking (laughs) um showers are timed to 30 seconds to conserve water so you couldn't do that i couldn't do that because i take the longest showers and the the longest and hottest showers yeah so it's also cold oh yeah to limit power use i saw that coming yeah so no (laughs) i i had to take showers like that when we uh had a camp out on a submarine yeah because we had to oh yeah yeah no yeah no, no. i know it, it sucked for me and i like cold showers like even when i was on the uh siemens i got like at least a minute and it could be hot yeah and you could go on deck and take a salt water shower that was hot if you wanted to there you go hot, hot and salty <laughs> <laughs> just like you hot and salty hot, hot and salty <laughs> um so it's basically is mimicking what real astronauts will probably have to go through on Mars. They also reuse every drop of water they can within the habitat. And it's like recycled through the dome, similar mm-hmm. to what in the Martian. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyprian, the astrobiologist, determined that there are only 33 steps between the farthest sides of the habitat. That's how big. That's like the widest point. Mm-hmm. Almost all food is brought with them for a year, all dehydrated and powdered and stored in storage containers. However, they can get sent occasional care packages and requested food from the outside as long as it could last the trip to Mars. So like the nine months. Yeah. Um, So like all of the junk food you could ever want, you could get. Like I could probably still get like zebra cakes. Oh, yeah. Oreo cakesters. Yeah. Okay, I'm back on. (laughs) Uh, they have composting or composting toilets, uh, similar to what they would have on Mars. Um, and it dehydrates their poops into little bricks. <laughs> little wallaby poops. Or, I typed uh, that. <laughs> I typed that sentence. <laughs> dehydrates their poops. Uh, during <laughs> mission four, the toilet stopped working correctly and was overloaded. And so they had to personally remove all of the non-dried shit themselves. And it was nine to 10 coffee cans worth in order to get it working again. And they had to go do like an EVA and chuck it outside in their astronaut suits. Oh. It was like, so they like literally dug it out. Do they have coffee? Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have made that even worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't they have coffee? I don't know. Because of that very situation. Because <laughs> you know how we are and we have coffee. Yeah, but, like, it's supposed to dehydrate the shit, so it shouldn't matter. But it wasn't doing that correctly. So they're literally digging out, like, like intact human shit. Everyone had, yeah. Okay. 
Right. I gotcha. Yeah. So because they didn't want to break the simulation, they're digging it out with their hands. Ugh. I'd have been like, I'm I'm okay. I'll uh, hold. I'll hold it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll hold it for six more months. Uh, <laughs> so everyone then had to go on a bathroom schedule to avoid overloading the system, which if you have any kind of IBS related issues is not a thing. You don't have a schedule. Or just irregular bowel movements. Yeah. Um, everyone was also attempting to learn different hobbies which is fun. Christiana was learning harmonica. Cyprian was learning ukulele. Shayna, or sorry, Shay was learning Russian. And Carmel was writing a children's book. Anjay, the engineer, would make brunch on a weekly basis every Sunday, um, making breakfast burritos literally every time. One crew member described the early months saying every day goes by faster and faster. Um, in addition to just living their lives, crew members had to fill out 11 surveys a day based on details of their lives, sleep cycles, eating, tasks, how are they are feeling, interactions with other people, what they did to relieve their stress, etc. Sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you think your job is boring. Um, so this is the data that will be used to gauge their performance. Um, and was described as one crew member as basically a, just a really boring diary. <laughs> um, crew members also wear sensors to test heart rate, give urine and saliva samples, and undergo daily cognitive tests. Um, many crew members described each day as being virtually identical, each week essentially the same. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most of the members, however, were working on some kind of scientific project while in the habitat. So it wasn't like entirely like exactly the same, but I, I would go cuckoo. Yeah. Would I have been able to bring my model kits with me? Maybe. I think they give you like, like this, this, this much space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you took them out of the boxes, maybe. Yeah. If I took them out of the boxes and if I had like a Kindle with books. Right, right, right. That would be it. So I mentioned before that crew members cannot uh, communicate in real time with the outside world. Essentially, they have a 20-minute lag between all communications. This uh, means dealing with uh, real-world news on Mars time and can be tricky, especially when you aren't actually on Mars and can technically physically leave anytime you want to. Right. Uh, so, for example, something big happened during Mission 4. Uh, Cyprian is from Paris, France, and while he was on his high seas mission, there was, a, there was a bombing and shooting in Paris, France. Some of you may remember it. Um, his friends and family all lived in that area at the time because of the 20-minute delay and the fact that they only had access to, like, Wikipedia email, and that's it. Um, he received the news from a small wiki news bar, um, he also got an email from a French mission support member saying in an email that there were at least 39 people dead in the terrorist attack. Um, all the crew could do was refresh the wiki page to get like more news and Cyprian was asking for updates from mission control. Uh, by the afternoon, 130 people were confirmed dead, but he didn't know if his friends and family were among any of those members. Um, after hours of waiting, he finally got word that his friends and family were safe and he never broke the simulation. So these people are absolutely dedicated to maintaining this, which is wild to me because I would have been like, 
goodbye. But I, that's why I, I'm not on. <laughs> I can't even stay in character playing D and D for more than like 20 minutes. <laughs> this is like an intense LARP, essentially. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. So crew members describe the mental and physical exhaustion of the later months of the experience, the exhaustion of being in the same space for months on end. Carmel described not being able to get enough exercise, um, even though they have an exercise bike and a treadmill in the habitat and being mentally awake at night, but feeling very exhausted. So that would be me. Which is similar to how you felt working at the front desk mm-hmm. at the aquarium. You said you had insomnia. Yeah, I would get insomnia every summer for months because I wouldn't, I would just wouldn't be able to shut my mind off and my body would still be racing. Yeah. So interestingly, friendships and even couples began to develop in the later months. Uh, Each mission sets their own social rules for crew members. um, And that does include romance and sex. Uh, Mission control advises them to set rules based on boundaries, but can't enforce anything specific when it comes to relationship. And no, there are no condoms in the supplies. (laughs) Um, So if you want to fuck, you've got to bring your own condoms. (laughs) NASA's like, (laughs) we support your choice. We support your choices, but we're not going to assist it. Yeah. Uh, NASA's position on sex on missions, (laughs) missionary missions. (laughs) Missionary position mission. Yeah. (laughs) Is essentially that they do not want to know about it if it happens and just assume that it doesn't. Um, there have been married people on a mission in space before. They kept their marriage a secret before they left for space. And then they were like, huh, surprise. So they probably fucked in space. And that sounds, I'm in, I'm interested. I just feel like the logistics and doing that would be hard. I mean, there are a lot of handholds, but. The leverage would yeah. be, yeah. So, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Phil. Um, <laughs> a mission to Mars is going to take up you know, up to three years of time. And so sex between crew members is a topic that NASA is eventually going to have to broach, especially because relationships could lead to complications, breakups, and jealousy. Even friendships can be problematic, particularly if it alienates people specifically. On mission four, the group began breaking off into friend slash romantic couples uh, slash groups, and some were left or some members were kind of left on their own, but they couldn't really get away from the people they didn't like. Which, imagine if you ha- got a boyfriend or girlfriend in space, and then, or a th- they friend, and then broke up with them, and then you're just so it's like stuck hi- with them. So it's like high school homeroom, but in space. Yeah, yeah, and you can't leave. Yeah. You can't go home yeah. to your mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah, fuck that. So I won't divulge into the specifics of who was doing who uh, and get into the disagreements. You'll have to listen to the habitat to find that out. And trust me, it is juicy and worth it and excellent. Um, Annoyances begin to come out around month six, especially with sound, which I am very sound sensitive. So I get this, like certain sounds really trigger me. Sometimes the sound of you chewing makes me want to strangle you. And I cannot explain why on specific days it does, but it does. I was going to say just the sound of my voice is a joke, but you brought out the truth. (laughs) You knew that. I knew that, but okay. Um, 
So there's no way to escape sound in the habitat, not just yelling or talking, but running on the treadmill, walking on the stairs, etc. Um, there's no place in the hab where they can truly be by themselves. Um, the crew grew to be more annoyed by habits that at first seemed nice, like Anjay's constant Sunday breakfast burritos eventually became disgusting to most of the crew because he did them every Sunday. Right. So eventually you're like, I don't want a burrito anymore. Yeah. Um, the six month mark sort of marks the breaking point where crew members may feel like they can't escape each other and their habits. Conflict arises more readily and personalities really begin clashing. Um, in addition, some of the members have partners back on Earth aka you know in the real world and are essentially spending 12 months away from their partners and homesickness can really ramp up around this time yeah so one of the members shay had a husband yeah and was just like i i I just it'd be rough especially because you're like well technically i can just go home right if you're on mars it's like well i can't stuck because i'm gonna die if i like try to The mission only ends when I die. Yeah. (laughs) There are some respite to the constant environment of the dome. They can leave the habitat occasionally, but do fake EVA spacewalks. Because they have to wear simulation EVA suits, they have not felt the wind or felt the sun on their skin in 12 months. Which, oh my god. They also have to mimic decompression for five minutes in their quote-unquote airlock. Obviously, they'd be fine if they didn't do this, but it would break the simulation. Um, they, they can then explore the nearby lava fields and caves that High Seas sits on, um, among many other tasks such as sample collection. However, this experience is not always fun because their suits are very hot and sweaty and they have a loud fan blowing in their ears, which basically recirculates the suit air. The visors are also somewhat difficult to see through. The plastic can distort the landscape and the radios don't always work the best. And apparently farting in your suit is not a good time. Um, Most crew members, however, really enjoyed EVAs because of the exploration angle. Many of these lava tubes have never been explored before. And any time out of the habitat is a good change of scenery. Um, so you can see here one of the uh, mission members exploring a lava tube. And then and also a full view of the inside of the dome with a fisheye angle. But that's it. Well, that guy on the right, he kind of looks like me. Yeah? Yeah. You could do it. I could do it. <laughs> if it wasn't for the diabetes, I could do it. And this is the mission four group. That I'm talking about. Oh yeah, they all look like big they, sex weirdos. I'm just kidding. They look like big old nerds. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a big old nerd too. Yes. Um, we we know them when we see them because we are them. Yes. So the main goal of these EVAs is to test if the crew is stressed, tired, and tired of each other. If they can still do their jobs and work together without like accidentally fake getting killed. Mm-hmm. Um. During mission four, there was some conflict between the crew members, specifically concerning EVAs. The surrounding landscape can produce danger, as Shay, the crew's doctor, found out when she fell through a lava tube. Uh, she was able to, like, it basically just collapsed underneath her. She was able to pull her leg out of the hole, and it was bruised and bloody and seemed to heal up well, but later she found that there was pain in her knee that would not go away during EVAs, like walking around. 
Shay wanted more information for Mission Control on the areas that they were going to, basically to get more information on safety. After this incident, uh, Shay and the crew were already at odds due to personality issues, and the other members thought she was trying to limit their ability to do EVAs at all. Uh, towards the end, Anjay and Shay stopped going on long EVAs, but the others went out and enjoyed it. It was a matter of weighing the risk taking and exploration versus being as safe as possible. And not everyone had the same opinions on this. Uh, Shay later said that she would rather be the crew's punching bag than have the crew fall apart or be fighting ground in mission control, which was an interest. She was uh, actually fairly mature about that whole situation. Um, So upon return to earth uh, or the real world, all of their family members gather outside of the habitat to welcome them home, which is hilarious to me because they're supposed to pretend like they're on Mars and it's like all of a sudden their family just shows up outside. Move that <laughs> Mars rover. Yes. <laughs> Are you ready to see your fixer upper? <laughs> Um, many described excitement, but sensory sensory overload upon returning to Earth. <laughs> what the sun it burns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feeling the wind on their skin and the sun, hearing their steps in the wind, feeling textures outside, and seeing so many other people. Uh, they pose for photos, give interviews, and then in a few hours, it's time for them to go their separate ways. They get debriefed for a week in Hawaii, and then they go home. Um, in the aftermath of the mission, Carmel began training for an Ironman competition. Tristan finished his dissertation in architecture in the design of space habitats. Andre moved to Houston. <laughs> a shout out to train to work for mission control. <laughs> Uh, Christiana traveled the world for a few months. Shay began working at a doctor in St. Louis. As a doctor. As a doctor. Sorry. In St. Louis. And Cyprian went back to Paris. High seas analysts then determined how the mission affected the individuals by sifting through massive amounts of data from the surveys, the biological samples from the crew, and other data collected during the mission. In the high seas mission, the goal of cohesion of the crew is not necessarily the end-all be-all, but instead the goal is high performance and completion of the projects. That is what is uh, considered to be an excess, being able to work as a team despite arguments and differences. So that's kind of a general what it's like to go on one of these things. Yeah. So if you want to apply, this is what you're getting into. Sounds awful. So what happens if one of these missions goes wrong? What happens when you break the simulation? They shoot you on sight. Blade Runner. (laughs) We got a runner. (laughs) For five missions, things ran relatively smoothly at high seas, but during mission six, something unprecedented happened. Uh, Mission six arrived to the habitat on February 15th, 2017. We will not be including all the names of the crew members, as not all their names are public information due to this incident. Uh, Michaela Musilova, one of the crew members, a Slovakian astrobiologist, stated that after the door was closed they, and they were locked in the habitat, our commander sighted part of the Martian. I think it was the very first line of the Martian, like, oh, we're fucked now. 
or something along those lines. So we just gave each other a big hug, like, okay, we can do this. <laughs> Abandon hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> um, I feel like explorers and scientists have a similar sense of humor when it comes to like that kind of thing. Like, I mean, you gotta. That's that's our like rallying call is like, well, we're fucked now. Let's do let's, this. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's wiggle away out of this one. Yeah. Or, or through this one. So during the first few days, the weather had been cloudy and they were running low on power, which if you remember happens in the Martian. Yeah. Which is kind of which cool. is yeah. Yeah. Uh so if you remember, the habitat runs exclusively on solar energy, um, or uh, if solar energy is limited, there is a backup generator that can be turned on from the outside. It's, just, it's it gets cloudy on those mountains. Yeah. At first, they tried to minimize their energy by or energy use by dimming the lights, not using the treadmill, keeping appliances unplugged, you know, uh, shit like that. So after the first few days, Lisa Stojanovsky the science communicator from Australia and another crew member had to suit up to step outside to turn on the generator. They simply had to flip a switch on the circuit breaker to get it going. So far, so good. Generator turns on. But things took a turn when they returned to the dome. So it turned out two of the other crew members were not doing well and had sustained an electric shock. Mm. Uh, the thought is that the crew members may have brushed against live wiring inside the habitat when they turned the generator on. So it was like people inside the dome. One of the crew members was shivering and laying down on the floor and the others covered them with blankets. Um, so this is kind of a, like, this is not great situation. It's not like a little first aid kit can kind of fix yeah. it. What um, if this was all planned? What do you mean? Like, what if high seas planned this? <laughs> like, to, to, to test what yeah. people would do under, like, actual emergency situations like that. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. I don't think... They're moles. Okay. They're planted. All right. So, other crew members... <laughs> Mr. Conspiracy Theory. It was all a plan. It was crab people. <laughs> the lizard people that live in the volcano. <laughs> Um, so other crew members were focusing on contacting high seas mission control on the outside and calling the missions on call doctor who actually works in real time. He's like the only person they can actually contact in real time, but there was no answer. The crew commander, Suk Jin Han, a assistant professor of economics at the university of Texas, which what are you doing here is my question, but I mean, go off, do your thing. Um, he then called 911. Uh, this was uh, compromising the simulation as the crew was not supposed to have contact with the outside and other than through email or mission control. Uh, Han described their decision, making sure to hear the thoughts and opinions of all crew members beforehand and reflect them in the decisions. The majority of the members, including the member who had experienced the incident, decided that we wanted to ask for medical advice from 911 before asking for an ambulance. Um, the individual, according to Stojanovsky, was going downhill quickly. They had a tight chest and some pain behind the shoulder blades. I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but those kind of symptoms freaked me out a little bit. I was pretty worried that they were going to have a heart attack or something. So 
after just four hours. So they, they waited four hours, which yeah. that's, that's nerve wracking. That's, that's impressive. Like, yeah. They were dedicated. So after four hours, they decided to call for an ambulance. Usually the drive takes about 20 minutes, but due to the clouds and fog, it took 43 minutes and the individual was taken or individuals were taken to the Hilo medical center. Stojanovsky then withdrew from the mission as well due to safety concerns, bringing the mission to an end after just four days. Work in the habitat would be difficult with just four people, and there would not be enough data for the mission to be worth it. The ultimate result, however, is that if this happens on Mars, there is a very real threat that this individual could die. This is where the safety versus risk reward comes in. So those on mission four, uh, which we talked about their whole successful mission, um, they argued that considering traveling to Mars, the astronauts will know and accept the dangers that they may never come back. It's part of exploration. Okay. High seas represents something unique and new in the history of exploration. This is uh, preparation to the max. Not only are we making sure that we have all of the supplies, equipment, and necessities checked off before we launch people towards Mars, uh, but we are addressing the psychological and human aspects, something that has not been attempted to this level before. Uh, high seas represents the future of exploration and space exploration and may be the beginning step to spreading across our solar system and going to the red planet itself. This also represents an investment, and an investment we are putting into humans. Many may ask, why are we doing this at all? Seems like a massive waste of time and resources. Some people regard Mars as our future home in the face of climate change. Others see it as a new planet to exploit for resources. But for me, and for the crew members of High Seas, it represents curiosity, something humans have had since the beginning of time. And it's that curiosity that is ultimately going to get us there. And that is the High Seas Mars mission and kind of the future of the kinds of stories we could be telling on a podcast like this, which I thought was an interesting new take on, you know, kind of the topics of this podcast. Like, what would it take to survive in this, this ecosystem or this, this environment that we've never really been to before as humans yeah so that wraps it up real quick let me do citations so uh, my citations was the high seas main website and that is where you can apply to be part of this monotonous terrifying study (laughs) if you want to be involved i think it's really cool i'm too claustrophobic and too anxious to do it but i think it's really cool um regardless um, and then I also use the article When a Mars Simulation Goes Wrong by Maria Marina Corin from The Atlantic, as well as the Habitat podcast, which you guys should go listen to because there's a lot of stuff that I didn't cover. It's like a six episode long, like uh, mini series kind of podcast. And they did a lot of excellent research for it. And you'll get to hear from all of the individuals on mission for themselves in person, which is really cool. So are you going to go? To high seas? Yeah. I mean, that debriefing in Hawaii for a week sounds pretty cool. <laughs> but after 12, 12 months? I mean, after 12 months, that first Mai Tai is going to taste amazing. 
that Lily Koi ice cream is going to go down real smooth. Oh, yeah. For sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Hulu Hulu chicken. Yeah, but just bowls. think about sitting on Mauna Loa for 12 months thinking about like, all of that, my, the Mai Tai and the Lilikoi and the uh, like huli huli chicken, all that fresh fish, it's right there. I can't have it. I'm only eating dehydrated space food in here. And pooping in bricks. Yeah. And zebra cakes. You can eat zebra cakes. Maybe. Maybe. You can request zebra cakes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling they're not going to encourage that many empty calories on these trips. <laughs> Especially if they're trying to keep us to a bathroom schedule. <laughs> All that super processed fake cream is going to go right through me. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why. I'm uh, probably not going to do it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'll leave my spot for someone else who is better suited for this. Yeah, really, really wants it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want it enough. I just want to go to Hawaii. Yeah, that's really what it is. <laughs> so we might as well just go for our week and not have to be in a space dome yeah. for 12 months. I mean, if they're willing to provide me like a super fancy gaming laptop, maybe I'll go, but. There you go. Yeah. Couldn't game with people online, though, unless you want a 20 minute lag. That's okay. I don't like playing competitive games anyway. <laughs> um, so at this point in our uh, podcast, usually we've talked about really morbid shit. So then we uh, bring it up by talking about happy things. Mm hmm. So, do you have a happy thing that's happened to you this week? You go first. I guess my happy thing is that we are traveling for a long time. Right? (laughs) We have been literally traveling, and actually Haley has too, since like the end of April, nonstop. We've been, we went to a wedding. We went to my brother's graduation. For a week. And we went to uh, the Texas chapter of the American Fisheries, the Texas chapter of the American Fisheries Society uh, conference. And it's just been nonstop travel. And we're finally just like, okay, we're done. And I'm in the middle of my busy season where, you know, I work frequently. I work like 12 to 14 hour days and I usually get five day weekends, but because the weather has been, real bad right now we've had constant like 20 to 30 mile an hour winds that has made doing our job very difficult Mm -hmm. because we have we do try to i know my lightning story doesn't sound like it but we do try and keep (laughs) uh, try and fight the margins as much as we can yeah um but so normally we try to knock out work monday tuesday wednesday and then like everyone's out wednesday or thursday but there are times we've actually had to work on weekends because that's the only time the weather's permitted for us to do anything. Mm-hmm. So my my rest schedule has just been non-existent. Yeah. And I, I, I've like, gotten sick twice. Yeah. I got uh, food poisoning in the airport. Yeah. And I got really bad allergies. I had bad allergies in Virginia because there's freaking trees everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's and that's down here is just oak pecan and uh palms and it's flat and, and it's flat grass everywhere but so that's my happy thing um i don't know i forgot to prepare a happy thing i had my head i brought my headphones to work when i thought i didn't that's my happy thing <laughs> he was pretty pissed about it too. i was very upset this morning because i i figured i was going to be one of like two people in the office but then there was a lot of other people there which is fine but i really 
I've really gotten back into one of my horror podcasts mm-hmm. and I really wanted to listen to it. And I was like, I'm gonna have to go spend $20 on some crappy gas station headphones. And then I opened up my backpack and boom, there they were. Yeah. Made us whole day. Made my whole day. Instant, instant, uh, mood changer. So simple things. And what is that podcast? Oh, Magnus Archives. Okay. Oh, so not Old Gods of Appalachia. Well, no, I'm all caught up. There's oh. not another episode until this week, okay. until Thursday. So there you go, Magnus. Ar- you don't need our shout out, but you just got one. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I guess that wraps it up. Um, next week, hopefully Haley will be back. Um, we will be doing an episode together, telling the story together for once. Um, which is going to be interesting. It's going to be a little serialized. Um, it's going to be about something completely and totally different once again try to keep it interesting keep it fresh (laughs) um so if you want to find us you can find us on twitter at mnwky podcast you can find us on instagram at mother nature will kill you podcast um that's where i'll be posting all these pictures that we talked about today um you can go to our website at mother nature will kill you podcast.com um, and you could submit your own personal survival story at um, our email, which is Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, or you can go just on the website and we have a little submission section on there for you to submit the stories and it'll go to our email. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. You don't have to have gone on a fake Mars mission LARP for 12 months. Um, but if you have, we'd love to hear about it. <laughs> um, and it can be, you know, something like Corey, where he almost got hit by lightning on a boat, which is a more common thing than you would think. It yeah, is. It, yeah, it's more, it's, <laughs> it's more common than they advertise. Yes, for sure. Also getting in chest deep mud. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another story for another time. That's a story for another drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so in addition, if you want to help out the podcast, um, but you don't have any money because we live in a capitalist hellscape, you can, uh, give us a five-star review on any of our listening platforms that includes, uh, iTunes, um, Apple podcast, uh, Spotify, Anchor, I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Go figure it out. <laughs> you're smart people Haley usually does this bit so I'm like, <laughs> wait what are they all um so if you leave a five-star review on any of our listening platforms that really helps bump us up the algorithm hopefully more people will see us and want to listen to our ramblings about weird stuff um so yeah I guess uh with that and if you want to hear me on the podcast more Send a message. And if you don't want to hear me on the podcast ever again, also send that message. <laughs> the choice is yours. He does have occasional cameos, <laughs> but this is probably the longest you've this, ever. This, this is the first time I haven't given you a, a heart attack. Oh, my God. Oh, God. You can't do that up here. Oh, Want to bet? Is that challenge accepted? Challenge accepted. Um. All right. So um, with that, we're going to wrap this up. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, So stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. (laughs) That was beautiful. That was better than I do it.